Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 165, Wild Turkeys, Conservation, and Politics with Becky Humphreys. And I am your host and the guy who is like a kid at Christmas right now. I'm so excited because the winter solstice has come and gone. And it's all uphill from here. And I love it. At least until the third week in June. Another reason that I'm like a kid at Christmas is because we are 84 days, 8 hours, 21 minutes, and 50 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So going back to this winter solstice thing, I think that my farming roots run pretty deep. My grandfather, my mom's dad, was a farmer. He grew vegetables and annuals and sold those at the local farmer's market many, many years ago. And after that, he got into the nursery and landscaping business and pretty much my entire life, while he was still alive, he was in that business. And my dad was also in that business. And I grew up working in that business at my dad's store. And I loved it. But I also realized that it is a tough way to make a living. I saw it every single day growing up. And especially saw it in the winters. So, I chose a profession that put me behind a desk every day instead of outside every day. But like I said, I think that my farming roots run deep, and here's why. I really can't stand these short winter daylight hours that we have. I do not like the sun setting at 5.10 p.m. and it being pitch black dark at 5.30. And you guys who live up north who have even shorter periods of daylight each day, And you guys who live in Alaska, who have almost no daylight at all in a day right now, I don't know how you do it. My body tells me that when it gets dark, it's time for sleep. And while I would love to do that, I'm afraid that if I went to bed at 5.30 in the afternoon, my night owl wife would probably leave me. So I have to try to at least stay up until 10 or 10.30 every night as a good compromise for my lovely bride. Anyway, more daylight hours are ahead for us in the next six months, and I am very excited about it. And 
I have realized that I've now done this two weeks in a row. I'm off on a tangent. I've gone down a rabbit hole about something completely unrelated to turkey hunting. So let's get back on track now. I guess I'm going to need to start snorting some Adderall or Ritalin or something. So here's what I have in store for you guys today. There is a lot going on in the political arena that should be of interest to us sportsmen and women out there listening. There are currently bills in the House and Senate that affect our access to public lands for hunting and fishing and even photography, believe it or not. They affect our opportunities to enjoy shooting sports, and there are bills that affect our access to certain gun accessories and parts and modifications, some of which have a purpose in hunting and some do not. But as sportsmen and women, we need to be aware of and vocal about our positions on certain legislative proposals that affect our opportunities to enjoy the outdoors and hunting. We cannot sit back and think that we outdoors people got this in the bag because it's pretty much a no-brainer. The reason that we can't sit back and think that is because the antis and the environmentalists are not sitting back thinking that they've got this in the bag. They are acting to let their voices be heard via social media, writing letters and making phone calls to their representatives, and attending town hall meetings and, as we all see on the news, protests. Because the news loves a good protest. As ridiculous and unfounded as the voices of these environmentalists and anti-hunters can be at times, you know, oftentimes it's not about what is being said. It's about how loudly it is being said and how often it is being said. And I experienced this firsthand several years ago when our local waterworks decided that they were going to lease out some property that they had very near the city of Birmingham. In fact, the property that they have surrounds the lake that the city of Birmingham gets their water from. And I actually had about 1,200 acres of that property leased. I had it under agreement. I had the lease in writing. I had paid for the lease. When word got out to some of the neighbors that the waterworks had leased this land out for hunting, the neighbors went ballistic. And they went to the waterworks, and they raised cane, and they finally got a meeting in front of the waterworks board. I was the only person there at that Waterworks board meeting to support the decision that the Waterworks had made to lease that land out for hunting. Everyone else there was protesting that decision by the Waterworks board to lease that land out. And here's why. And I'm not lying when I say this. One person stood up and said, my property borders some of this property that is leased by the Waterworks to a hunting club. And now that land was actually leased for bow hunting only. No guns at all. Shotguns, rim fires, or centerfire rifles. No guns. Bow hunting only. So this gentleman stands up and says, My property borders the property that the Birmingham Waterworks has leased out to a hunting club now. And I'm just afraid that... I'm going to be sitting in my living room one day and an arrow is going to come flying through the window in my living room and stick in the living room wall. And not only that, but I have dogs 
that I keep in my fence in my backyard. And what's going to happen if somebody shoots one of my dogs with a bow and arrow thinking it's a deer? Now, no regard at all was given to the fact that in the lease that every lessee signed with the Birmingham Waterworks, there was a clause that said there will be no hunting within a hundred yards of a structure. No regard was given to the objection of, I'm afraid someone's going to mistake one of my dogs for a deer and shoot it. I've seen a lot of dogs in my day, and I'm pretty sure that when a dog comes within bow range of me, I'll know that's a dog and not a deer. And I'm pretty sure that most of you listening to this show are probably in the same boat that I am in. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say none of you would mistake a dog at 40 yards or 50 yards for a deer. But wait, there's more. Another person stood up and said, I'm very concerned about the waterworks leasing this land out to hunters because when these men and women are in the woods and they're hunting, where are they going to use the bathroom? They're going to use the bathroom in the woods. And, well, I'm afraid of their human waste getting into our drinking water and contaminating it. All right, so... I promise you, I am not kidding. That man stood up in front of 150 people and said he's concerned about people using the bathroom in the woods and that human waste getting into the water supply for the city of Birmingham. The unfiltered and untreated water supply reservoir for the city of Birmingham. This is a 1,000 acre impoundment that is anywhere from 10 to 20 feet deep. And this person is really concerned about human waste from hunters contaminating the water supply. Sound logic and reasoning does not matter at meetings like this. At no point did someone on that waterworks board say, Sir, have you given thought to the fact that these 50 people who are going to be hunting this land around this 1,000 acre impoundment are not going to be living there day and night using the bathroom six, eight, ten times a day in the woods like the deer and the pigs that they are going to remove from the property that are living in the woods and using the bathroom 10, 12, 20 times a day and contaminating your water supply. No one on the board said that. So I'm going to say this again. When our voice is the only voice in opposition of what 150 other voices have to say, it does not matter if any of those other voices being heard that oppose ours have any merit. There is strength in numbers. And despite all the science that suggests that it is wise to lease out that land around Birmingham's water source for hunting to help thin the wildlife populations in those areas, we hunters lost. And I'm convinced we lost because I was the only one at that meeting in favor of the decision that the Waterworks Board made to lease that land out. 
So like I said, oftentimes in life, it is not about speaking the truth. It is about being loud and being heard. And the antis and the environmentalists are loud and heard. Now, at that meeting that I attended, there was way more politicking going on than there was talk about conservation or science. And fortunately, on the state level and the federal level, we have organizations that are out there that are fighting for our interests and for what we believe in. I wanted to dig in a little deeper on this topic when it relates to the federal level. On today's show, I have Becky Humphreys with the NWTF. In fact, Becky is not just with the NWTF. She's the CEO of the NWTF. And before becoming CEO, Becky was the Vice President of Conservation and the Chief Conservation and Operations Officer of the NWTF. In fact, her entire professional career has revolved around conservation and wildlife management. So who better to run the NWTF and to lead it through accomplishing its objective to save the habitat, save the hunt? Becky and I are discussing some wild turkeys, conservation, and politics in today's show. So let's get into the interview, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am excited to tell you guys that I have on the line with me today again, and it hasn't been that long since I had her on the line, but Becky Humphreys, the CEO with the NWTF, and we're going to Really kind of dig in a little bit deeper with Becky today to learn a little bit more about her than we got the first go round because that was just a very brief intro and more of a talk about the board of directors. But today we are going to talk about something that is near and dear to Becky's heart because she is headed up that part at the NWTF for a while, and that is conservation. And I'm going to drag her into the politics of wild turkeys and conservation as well, because she has a lot of experience with that. And so, Becky, thank you again for coming on the show. And how are you and where are you today? Well, thank you, first of all. Thank you for having me on the show, Andy. And I'm in sunny South Carolina, Edgefield, South Carolina. I'm actually sitting in my office right now, and it is a delightful day. It has finally cooled down, and we've had some nice brisk weather, and it's been delightful. It feels like fall hunting season down here. When I hear someone say nice brisk weather, that sounds to me like maybe they're from Michigan. Well, that's right. So it's down here, people will say, it's darn chilly. It's cold. And I'm thinking it's just getting comfortable. Well, you're right. It's all our perspective. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so before we dig into some of these questions that I have for you, I have a little segment in the show that I like to call the rapid fire Q&A. And basically, I'll run through, if you want to play along, I'll run through and I'll ask you 30 questions. And the goal of the rapid fire segment is to answer those questions as quickly as you can and maybe try to beat the fastest time out there. So if you want to play along, I can get the stopwatch ready and we can jump in and go with these questions. And now the questions are really more along the lines of probably something that you've been asked around the campfire at hunting camp instead of getting into the science of wild turkeys and that kind of stuff. All right. All right, so let me get the stopwatch here. Okay, and I will start the stopwatch as soon as I start the first question. And whenever you're ready, we'll get going. Okay, I'm ready. All right. 
Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Oh, baked. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola or with water? I like it on the rocks with one teaspoon of water. All right. Number of grand slams? Ooh, one. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? No. Have you ever killed a jake? Yes. Would you prefer a 10-minute successful hunt on a 2-year-old or a 4-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a 4-year-old? Oh, a clean miss on a 4-year-old. Favorite camo pattern? It's all about, pardon? Oh, go ahead. It's all about anticipation for me. There you go. Good deal. Your favorite camo pattern? Oh, mossy oak, of course. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Oh, they're for soup. They're for dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? Less. The state you killed your first wild turkey in? Michigan. The state you killed your last turkey in? Michigan. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Oh, uh, that'd be a tough one for me. It depends It depends on the day and whether I can... Um, I like doing both, but probably sitting in the blind would be more it for me. All right. Rios or Osceolas? Osceolas. Osceolas or Easterns? Eastern. Easterns or Merriams? Eastern. Fields turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods turkeys. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? Um, I have a shotgun red dot. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? <laughs> Rubber boots, neoprene boots. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Oh, probably a hillside in southern Michigan. The most turkeys? Very county. Okay. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Two. The least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Zero. <laughs> Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Oh, Lordy. There'd be, there be um, I'd have to say, probably Georgia. Okay. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Probably a hen. Yelp. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on this next question and take the next one. Your favorite turkey hunting book? favorite turkey hunting book. I mean, most, I'm a biologist. You got to realize most of my books are in turkey biology. <laughs> I love it. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Well, uh, actually, I, my husband and I stumbled together through that in the early days as we introduced turkeys into, into new parts of Michigan. It was between that and actually going to turkey hunting clinics. So getting Go to those clinics, learn how to call from folks like, you know, that were callers at the time, mm -hmm. and then going out and stumbling through our first few seasons. That's awesome. Think of the toughest turkey you have ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? No. I mean, I, in the end of the hunt, he the turkey I was chasing escaped me in the toughest hunt. And it was, it was a calamity of errors like many turkey hunts can be. <laughs> Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Uh, long, sharp spurs. The biggest mistake that new turkey hunters make? Um, probably underestimating the wild turkey and how sharp, how observant they are, how great their vision is. All right. Have you ever left a turkey hunting buddy because he or she overslept and was late? Yes. How long does turkey season last in heaven and what is the bag limit? I'm sorry, say that again. How long does turkey season last in heaven, and what is the bag limit? <laughs> oh, in heaven. Okay. Well, it's year-round in heaven, and the bag limit is 
is finite. I would never have an unlimited bag limit. So let's see, we want to be able to have, you don't want to be able to take a turkey every day because that would wear out how special it is. Uh-huh. But you'd want to be able to take one at least 100 birds wow. over the course of a year. All right. I, I, I'm going to tell you that you have the best time because, in my opinion, you gave the best answer to the last question. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, so I know that he's going to ask you at some point, and when Pete Mueller asks you what your time was in rapid fire, you just tell him, I have the best time. All right. I will do that. Tell him you have the record for the best time. So I love your answer to that because I feel the same way that you do. I don't think there is an unlimited bag limit in heaven because it would kind of take the fun out of it. It would. So it would. I like a hundred turkeys. Yeah, we got to pace ourselves. You know, I'm thinking one every third, fourth day. That would be pretty awesome. I agree with you. And I would say that that is a, about the perfect answer that I could expect from a biologist as well. So. If you, if you want to know when, when the recording is over, I'll let you know what your time was. All right. All right. Because as of right now, you got the best time. All right. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I appreciate you doing that. I think those are fun questions to run through. The question that I skipped is tell me who, let's see, let me read it to you. It is the best turkey hunter you know. And I didn't ask that question because I had someone turn the table on me on the rapid fire Q&A not too long ago and they asked me that question and it made me a little uncomfortable because I know a lot of very good turkey hunters and to single one out was extremely difficult. So It, it is, it is. And you know, Sometimes they're different. They're great turkey hunters for different reasons. That's right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, they can be highly successful, great callers, know about the birds, have it. But then there are those people that share all the information so well. And they tell you such, you know, they make it fun because they, they're willing to share part of themselves and the history and, and great people they've known. And then there are other people that are just, they're such great folks in terms of knowing, you know, all about the landscape. They know about the geology of an area. They, mm-hmm. You know, so it's just so much fun to see the different people. And then there's the cultural aspect. I mean, there's so many cool things that we see when we're turkey hunting, you know, that you, you stumble upon that people share with you. And that's, that's really fun, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got into this a little bit during the rapid fire Q&A, but tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Well, I've been a, professionally, I've been a wildlife biologist. That's how I started my career in Michigan. And I was involved in turkey reintroductions in Michigan. We wound up, we had birds in two parts of the state, populations that started from game stock, a game farm stock that came from Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. But those birds never really expanded their range, nor did all that well. And so when I was a field biologist early on, we were looking at ways to expand that population and, and actually got involved in working with the National Wild Turkey Federation and trading and getting some birds from Iowa and Missouri and some other states that we introduced. And then from there, as a field biologist, I was involved in trapping some of those birds once they their population started to come along in Michigan and relocating them to other available habitat. Yeah. With that, both my husband, my husband is a wildlife biologist also. Bob's passed away now, and but we managed pretty prime real estate for 
for the wild turkey, and we live in an area that has great habitat. And so we kind of worked our way through trying to learn how to turkey hunt. We were both duck hunters. We were both upland bird hunters. And, I mean, turkey hunting had all the the great things. You had the opportunity to call the birds in, Mm -hmm. decoy. Neither one of us were experienced in it, but we we got involved in it and had tried our luck at it a few times. And um, I think we had two seasons before we were successful in taking that first bird, each of us. And it was it was really a fun way to learn and get to know people. I mean, the cool thing of it was it was a new sport coming on board. There was tons of interest. We wound up having turkey hunting clinics where we'd bring in literally thousands of people. And at that time, you know, buying calls and such were you just couldn't go down to the local sporting goods store and see your see your selection of camouflage and decoys and calls. So it's about going to those clinics where you would have call makers come and give calling demonstrations and all the rest of it. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was fun to learn about that. It was fun to to work alongside hunters that, that were so excited about sport, that were so excited about restoring populations. And really, that's where I made my first friendships with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Yeah, that is a cool story. And to be part of that reintroduction in of turkeys into Michigan had to be something very exciting and, and very interesting from as far as your professional training, but also just as a person to watch these birds being brought in and reintroduced and, you know, watching the population come back. So that had to be a, a lot of fun and very rewarding. Oh, it was. And it, it gave me an opportunity. I mean, when we released birds, I remember when we first saw birds on our own property. And then when we harvest our first birds on our own property and our next door neighbor, my next door neighbor just died this past year. Floyd was 99 years old. Oh, wow. And Floyd, wow. I, I picked him up when we were doing those reintroductions, called him up one day on my way to release birds that we've gotten from out of state and asked if we wanted to go on it. And he picked him up on the way to release. Floyd, I remember was out there, opened a box, and he, he talked about how wonderful that was. And then we took Floyd out when he harvested his first turkey. And Floyd, to the you know the even this last year that he was alive, when he would tell that story, he'd get tears in his eyes talking about seeing those birds, those beautiful birds, come out of the box and see them fly across that field, and then watching them on his own property, and then going on going out in the woods and actually shooting one of those turkeys. And that's the cool thing when it touches someone so deeply that it's one of those moments in their lifetime that they always tell with tears in their eyes and it means a great deal to them. What a neat story that is. That is. That is really cool. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit today, as you already know, about conservation, where we've come from, where we're headed, the NWTF's role in that, and look at some of the, I guess, the politics of all that. So, as most everyone knows, and especially those of us listening who are NWTF members know, the focus of the NWTF has shifted. Its goal has shifted, and that is from reintroducing turkeys on a widespread basis to more or less protecting our hunting heritage and giving us access to be sure that we ha- we can always get to these turkeys that have been in- reintroduced in- into these areas across the country. So, the NWTF has come out with a new initiative called Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt. Can you tell us what exactly that is and why the NWTF feels that it's important for the future of turkey hunting and to the members of the NWTF? 
Oh, sure, I'd love to. Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt. It's really a, it's a 10-year initiative. We're at the midway point of it right now. And it was really a, a challenge to ourselves, to our members, to, to be able to go out and re- conserve 4 million acres of prime turkey habitat to make sure that we're actively managing and creating that great habitat in the most important places around the country. To create a million and a half or recruit a million and a half new hunters into the sport of hunting and to open up at least a half million acres to land that hadn't been open to public access for hunting. It's, we're ahead of schedule on those on that 10-year goal, but we measure ourselves. One of the fun things about this initiative is that we're keeping track of each of all, every acre that we work on for conservation effort and active management. Hunters that are created that we're involved in that creation of that hunter and recruiting or retaining or reactivating that hunter back into the sport, and then acres of access. And um, we feel that the great part of the National Wild Turkey Federation and why I feel they are spot on is our mission recognizes that not only is about the conservation of the wild turkey, but the preservation of the hunting heritage. But it takes people on the landscape to have great conservation because they protect it, they fund it, and they make it happen. And so it takes both people and, and turkeys to make turkey conservation to make conservation and the passing on of our hunting heritage live into the future. Very good. When I was writing the questions for this interview, I got to a couple of questions and I said, you know, this is really kind of downplaying what it's taken to get to this point to where we can look at these things, you know, really on a on a much broader scope. And I don't want to brush by the fact that the huge contributing factor to the NWTF being so successful in its goal is dependent and has been accomplished on the efforts of its volunteers and employees in the fields and on the streets. But I want to focus the questions in the the rest of the interview more along the lines of the political side of turkey hunting. And so with that being said, what are some of the most recent legislative victories for the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative and or for our hunting heritage? Well, they've been several of them. We've been working, I won't say there's a victory on this yet, but we've been working very hard nationally on both forest reform and fire funding. The U.S. Forest Service is a huge partner to the National Wild Turkey Federation. We've had a a shared position, what we call a making tracks position, with the U.S. Forest Service that's housed right in with our staff to make sure that we are helping the Forest Service actively manage habitat on the ground. Mm -hmm. And for individuals who probably may or may not be aware of it, but there's been, as, as time has gone on, more and more of the Forest Service budget has gone to fire suppression, where at one time it, it tended to be a fairly small percentage of the budget. What's happened is the majority of their both their staffing levels and their funding has now goes into addressing fire suppression because of these tremendous wildfires we've been having. Right. And while cool, slow-burning fires, prescribed fire, it can be really good on the landscape to get rid of fuel load and as part of the natural fire-driven habitats of many areas, these hot fires that are feeding off of excessive fuel loads and diseased trees that have not been actively managed are just causing devastation. Not only are are we burning up tremendous fiber supply that we could use in this country, but then you wind up burning the organic material right down off the forest floor and 
And with that, you get tremendous erosion. It winds up causing fish kills, streams, and mm-hmm. water, poor water quality, and, and terrible air quality that negatively impacts human populations as well as the other wildlife that's there. So we've been real active on that. We um, have testified in Congress three times to various committees on this. We're hopeful the Resilient Forest Act is has passed the House. There aren't the current votes in the Senate. We're working on that right now. I was just in D.C. this past week meeting with both the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, Secretary of Interior, Secretary Zinke, on this very topic. And then meeting with Congressman Westerman in the afternoon, who's from Arkansas. He's a he's a registered forester. He's the only forester in Congress, but he gets this issue. And he has the Resilient Forest Act that he has sponsored and moved forward through the House. We are very close to getting a resolution, and we hope to get that passed through the Senate. We feel that there are some barriers to active management going on, and quite frankly, some groups are actively suing to stop active forest management in our national forests. And so there's some reforms to make lawsuits a little more difficult and cooperation a little easier and then some what are called some provisions or or categorical exclusions in the National Environmental Policy Act that make review for reforestation or salvage cuts after large die-offs a little easier. So we've been working on those factors, and hopefully we'll push that one through. So that's one. At the national level, also, there's a, what we call the PR Modernization Act that stands for the Pittman-Robertson Modernization Act. That's the Wildlife Restoration Act was passed in 1937 with the excise tax that falls on sporting arms and ammunition, and and it goes to the various states through a formula, and they apply for it through the Fish and Wildlife Service, and that is the main funding source for wildlife conservation across the United States at the state level. That act does not allow us to go out and do marketing or really move forward to try and promote the sport of hunting unlike the complement on the fishing side. Wallet Bro and Dingle Johnson allow for marketing. In fact, they take a certain percentage right off the top, and that funds the Recreational Boating Fishing Partnership to try and do that marketing and coordination. But on the, on the hunting side, we don't have that. And so there is a bill in Congress right now that would allow us to do some marketing so that we can be more successful in moving forward and making it educational programs and marketing programs to promote hunting, part of our operation with the various states. So we're also working on that. At the state level, there's a whole range of opportunities. We've been very active with the Sportsman's Alliance in promoting families of field legislation, removing the barriers to allow people to get into the sport of hunting by creating mentored hunting opportunities and making it easier for folks to get a license if they go out with a licensed hunter who, who's an adult licensed experienced hunter that hunts right alongside them and not having them have to go through a laborious process to get that license the first time through a hunter safety course that may or may not be timely. It also, we've we've worked on opportunities to try and let parents decide when their kids are the right age to hunt. When I, you know, my kids were out there, you know, we had minimum hunting ages that were in the teens. And I, I just know the difference in my kids was great. I mean, my daughter was shooting competitively at age nine. Joel, when he was, you know, 14, it was still a little dicey in terms of taking him out at times. So it all depends on the age of the, of the, 
of the child. And we think parents are probably the best decision makers in determining when their kids are really ready to get into the board of hunting, right. when they're safe in terms of handling a gun, and removing some of those barriers that are, well, they're not one size fits all. Hmm. And, and we know that getting kids younger helps us when they get in their teens, they start to get really, really busy. And kids are busy anyhow with all the organized sports. So we've been really active on that with various states to try and remove those barriers and, and make the entry into the sport much easier. Now, on that forest bill that has been introduced, you mentioned that. Okay, so that is all that I have for you guys for the free portion of today's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you would like to hear the rest of this episode, then all you need to do is to become a subscriber to the premium content. To become a subscriber, simply text the word Turkey Hunter, make it one word with no spaces, to the number 44222. After you do that, I will text you back with instructions to reply with only your email address. And once you reply with your email address only, I will then email a link for you to click that will enable you to subscribe to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And you can click that link and you can subscribe to the premium content using a mobile device. Subscribing to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast costs $12 per year. And it will get you all of the premium content for all of the past episodes, as well as the premium content for this episode and the premium content for the next 52 weeks as well. It is a heck of a deal, and it's an offer you can't refuse. So going forward, I'm going to try to bring you guys more conservation hunting and fishing and shooting policy proposals in this show so that you can take the time to research these for yourself and let your elected officials know your opinions and that you're watching their actions and that you are going to hold them accountable. Okay, so that is all for today. But before I cut you loose for the week, I have a favor to ask of you. This week, I want you guys to enjoy and treasure the upcoming holiday with your friends and family because things change and life happens. Next holiday season is going to be different than this one, and so we need to appreciate what we have today. And I hope that you guys will enjoy the gifts that God has given us because they are much greater than what we have wrapped and underneath the tree. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and a very Merry Christmas. May God bless you all and your families as well. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.